I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by a comic shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom. From comics and video games to science and technology, if it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap. In this episode, I'm going solo for the hosting duties, but I do have two guests who I'm going to be speaking with, and I couldn't be more excited. These folks have been entertaining me for the past, going on 10 years now. It's Zach Johnson and Jeffrey Max, or as they're better known, Fatal Farm. Now, If that name doesn't ring any bells to you, there's actually a pretty good chance you've seen at least something they've done. They worked on the Adult Swim specials, Smart Pipe and the Mark Limbeck Technique. They directed skits in Key and Peele. They've done some of those hyper-weird Old Spice commercials. And they even contributed to a placement on Nerdy Show's own Top 20 Nerdy Things of the Year when they did a scene for the fan film Our Robocop Remake, remaking the entirety of the original Robocop scene by scene with uh, different people doing different scenes, and uh, theirs was the standout of the entire film, in which RoboCop stops an onslaught, like a literal mob of rapists, by shooting them all squarely in the dick, featuring full-frontal, ultra-gory, exploding dick prosthetics. But what I know them for is some of their earliest work, some content they put out on YouTube nearly a decade ago, and that was a number of alternate television themes as in the theme songs to TV shows, but uh, all of them not normal, super weird, perhaps most famously a uh, live-action DuckTales intro where Webby gets abducted by a Beagle Boy. They also did a series called Infinite Solutions, which offered up life hacks, before that was a turn of phrase, that absolutely did not exist but seemed 100% real. And of course, the crown jewel, the thing we're here to talk with them about today, Lasagna Cat. Live-action reenactments of some of the worst Garfield strips, which then turn into surreal music videos. And all these things are kind of hard to explain why you should want to watch them, but you're just going to have to trust me. These have been making me laugh for essentially a decade, and I come back to them all the time. You can't stop at one. you got to enjoy a few. And if you've been with us here in the past few episodes of Nerdy Show, you've been hearing me rave about Lasagna Cat and its return for weeks now. Because after going silent for nine years, all of a sudden, Lasagna Cat came back with this high-budget-looking trailer that not only announced their return, but also launched a 1-800 number that asked you to state your name and your number of sexual partners, with no explanation given whatsoever. On this episode's page, 
We'll link to where the entire Nerdy Show crew called up that 1-800 number and left our collective data, and you can kind of hear what that experience was like. Well, the results are in. The sex survey was compiled into a four-hour-long knock-knock joke, ending in a cerebral kind of art house short film that is super not safe for work. And all the new episodes of Lasagna Cat are absolutely absurd in the complexity of all their visuals and how many different styles they undertake and the jokes. They're just, it's a whole new level. For example, one of the episodes features a shot-for-shot recreation of the entire Phil Collins in the air tonight sequence from the first episode of Miami Vice, but starring live-action Garfield and Odie with a cover of In the Air Tonight performed by Justin Roiland from Rick and Morty. Or the super-duper 90s Matrix-influenced special effects bro instant messenger session between Garfield and Odie, a.k.a. Darth Maul Dog 1125 and Lazy Cat 619, set to Prodigy's Firestarter, of course. Or there's the one where John Arbuckle is going to uh, spend the evening trying out several shampoos and one kind of furniture polish. So that strip, of course, devolves into a extremely true-to-form bukkake video, but with a bunch of tidy-whitey-clad Japanese dudes and a shampoo-soaked John Arbuckle bashfully saying things in Japanese to them. Or the crowning achievement, the pipe strip, an analysis of an early Garfield strip that is just breathtaking in its simplicity. And that (laughs) that episode... (laughs) Well, its music video component is an entire Philip Glass film soundtrack with Drew Barrymore's brother, John Barrymore, offering up an hour-long dissertation on the complexities, subtleties, and deeper meaning of this Garfield strip. And it's incredible. And I haven't even told you about all of them. You gotta check these out. So in describing all this, hopefully I've expressed to you the variety and complexity and beautiful weirdness that is the work of Fatal Farm. And I'm really excited to be speaking with them today. This is actually going to be the first interview they've done about this project at all. And it's a project that they've been working on the entire time they've been gone. In their spare time, in between shoots, at their own personal expense, they've been showing their love to one of the greatest comedy masterminds of his generation, Jim Davis, creator of Garfield. Whether you're familiar with their work or not, this is going to be a really exciting exploration into indie filmmaking, and I hope you'll join me for the ride. With us on the phone right now is Fatal Farm, a.k.a. Zach Johnson. Hello, this is Zach Johnson. And Jeffrey Max. Hi, how's it going? Oh, it's going so good. For me, on a personal level, this has been a really long time coming. Lasagna Cat, the alternate TV themes, Infinite Solutions, my crew and I have been coming back to your videos for the past nine years, quoting them to each other, their lifestyle. (laughs) That's appreciated. I'm yeah. sorry that uh, we were unavailable for nine years. Well, you got you guys were doing cool things out in the wild. I mean, some great commercials, some cool TV specials, and the the RoboCop scene, which we'll talk about soon. I hope the, the first video of yours that I ever saw was the alternate Ducktales intro, and I remember thinking, "How the hell did someone pull this off? These costumes of production, it's too good. Who the fuck made this?" <laughs> And I'm still wondering that, so I'm hoping you guys can provide a bit of an origin story for Fatal Farm. Jeffrey and I are just like high school friends that went to film school and out of college just didn't find work, as that's pretty commonplace among film graduates. Yeah. 
And we just started like screwing around. And I think that um, the first thing we did was the alternate TV themes, wasn't yeah. it? We did that before Infinite Solutions. I yeah. Think. And the motivation for that or the inspiration for that was the um, Eric Fensler G.I. Joe PSAs. Yeah. Basically, they're parallel to you guys in terms of things that I've quoted. <laughs> One just remastered those in HD, actually, coincidentally well, that's, enough. That's wonderful. Yeah, um, yeah, they really like kind of set the set the tone for this is what the internet is. This is how you reappropriate content, and this is how you remix things, and this is how much you tip your hat to nostalgia and how much you subvert it. And we kind of just took that and tried to do something similar. Yeah, I mean, this was TV intros. This was like back in the very early days of YouTube before SNL digital shorts and before people were sort of sprouting up all over the internet doing video work. And um, I remember we were just in Brooklyn and in New York at the time pursuing ad work and just kind of like looking around for things to fill our time and occupy ourselves. So we made those just because we, we thought the ideas were funny between the two of us. I mean, it really wasn't any deeper than that at that point. So we'd made a few of the alternate TV intros and they weren't really getting much traction. There was like no way to like seed anything back then. And we just didn't know how to get things seen. There was no dig. There was no Reddit. We were like, for the DuckTales one, we'll just be like, let's just go for broke on it. Let's do a grab bag of everything that it shouldn't be. Yeah. And sure enough, that hit pretty fast. And I mean, around the same time, there are a variety of ideas, but the first thing of ours that brought attention upon the TV intros was actually Infinite Solutions, which we did after, which was sort of like a prank series that ended up going big simply by the nature of us proposing the uh, existence of something called Google TV, which was a, a Hulu-like service years before that was something that existed. And it was something obviously that people wanted. And so... We gave them some roundabout way of trying to sign up for the service where you could watch TV on the internet. That got picked up by like Engadget or Gizmodo unironically as, yeah. as like breaking news. Oh my God, I had no idea. Yeah, and that's, that's how everything got found because people would look into the other Infinite Solutions videos, which were more obviously fake. And then they found their way back to the TV intros. And, yeah. But that the Infinite Solutions is the first time we had like true virality. And that was really exciting. I had a friend that um, whose roommate actually worked at Microsoft at the time. <laughs> and they had an emergency meeting at Microsoft the morning that that came out to to talk about what they were going to do for Google TV because it wasn't on their radar at all. Oh, my God. <laughs> and my friend's roommate had to explain to them that it was all a hoax. And yeah. that was that Google was had, to, had to release press statements and, and address it because people were contacting them about it. I think in between we did an ad job and moved to Los Angeles. And then after that, we found a, a really gnarly looking Garfield costume in a costume shop in, in Compton and just decided, well, we got to do something with that. Just kind of like on a whim. I think we were looking for a costume for something else. Whenever we go through a bad money job, it's like a, a steam vent release to do something sexually graphic or scatological. <laughs> And I think we just come off of something bad for Garfield. And we found this Garfield costume. We were like, hey, let's do 100 days of Garfield. Yeah. Uh, or no, that's not what we did. First we said, let's do every day's Garfield. We'll make it a thing. Just so, like every day you can watch a live action reenactment of a Garfield strip. Every day we'll wake up, we'll get the newspaper, and by, by, by lunchtime we'll have it out. That was the original plan. Holy shit. And then we were like, I don't think we can keep this up. Because John and Garfield will like go to the beach or go to the vet. And we're just like, I can't, we can't produce that. 
at 9 a.m. by lunchtime. So we're like, we'll just do 100 days of Garfield. Right. And then we actually shot 80. Yeah. And we started editing them together, and uh, there were no legs to it. it. You saw three, and there was no incentive to click further. Yeah, it was just... Which is a commentary on this, <laughs> the strip itself, I suppose. <laughs> the comic is truly not funny in a reenactment sense. I mean, I, you know, it's probably not funny, period. But when we started uh, doing these live-action reenactments, we, we immediately saw how just kind of bland it was. We just didn't think that anyone would watch more than three of them. And so we're like, well, let's, let's take all the work we've done, at least make one video out of it. And then maybe we could convince people to watch a video that's really long, which is something that we seem to revisit again and again. <laughs> uh, so we, we were left there with like 80 things, 80 of the 100, and we just, we just started chopping them up. When we saw it all cut to some music, some, some like tribute montage music thing, which was also a thing back in like 2007, 2008 when we were doing it, people just cutting like tribute videos to actors and to anime characters. <laughs> it doesn't really exist anymore, but that was like a big thing on YouTube. Yeah. Like just a six minute Dragon Ball Z montage <laughs> set to like dust in the wind or something. Yeah. It's At like this point, summer. people look back on that format really, really fondly. Like yeah. I have had younger friends like remember the days when they used to make their bullshit anime tribute videos. <laughs> it's been so we made one of those for Garfield and then liked it and then we're like, well, let's make it just tribute videos to Jim Davis and then we just pulled them individually out and then that was working and so that's how Lasagna Cat we backed into it. Even from the beginning for us, it was in settling on that being the idea. We realized this is something that people can run across and wonder why it exists. And that's always kind of been a thread through which we operate. And we sort of held on to that idea as we have been working on the on the new the new release too. It's yeah. like that and the TV intros, like I think if there's one of it or there's two of it or there's five of it, it's not anything. But if there's a dozen of it, then it's notable. And so we always try to do things in mass because <laughs> otherwise it just feels like kind of a sketch. And I don't think as a sketch, they're funny enough, to be honest. They're more like the biggest joke of it is that there's so much of it and that it exists. Yeah, no, it's, it's, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I've seen that in showing it to people and they'll like they get it after I make sure that they've watched several of them. <laughs> yeah, I think this is also something that these projects have been things that are like tailored to and perform particularly well on the Internet because we've shown these live and we've been witness to people showing them to friends and things. And it's always kind of like met with just a bizarre blank stare. Polite. Yeah. Pol like, Politeness. Oh, this is what you do. Oh, okay. I mean, I've had even my mom just say, people think this is funny. And I, uh, you know, and I have to like, it's awful. Like every year, every, every year at Christmas or Thanksgiving, being at home and having, your parents or your siblings ask you about your Garfield project. <laughs> At this point, we've dedicated a fair amount of our lives to making fun of Garfield. Yeah. Which is, it's really unfortunate. <laughs> Have any opportunities come from it? Uh, I, think I think so. Yeah. A lot of our, a lot of our existing career comes stems from, <laughs> because very immediately after it came up, I mean, we were emailed by people like um, Andy Milanakis and Tim and Eric and, the Lonely Island, and they were early, early supporters of ours. Just very early on, people who were in the comedy community were reaching out to us. And 
extending opportunities to us. And we kind of seized on those and found ways to work professionally and, and still do similar things to what we were doing. And then that led to, you know, advertising work. And immediately after the, um, the lasagna cat release, the first thing we did with the Tim and Eric were a couple of videos from Major Laser with Eric Wareheim, Honda Floor and Keep It Going Louder. And if you go look at those, they look very lasagna cat round one-ish with cutouts and very colorful and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I had no so, idea you guys worked on that. That makes so much sense. We did the post on those and editorial on those and the, and the animation. Yeah. So those people who are in those positions, you know, extending us those opportunities, it's been pivotal to us being able to continue working and eventually put out more lasagna cat. You know, we'll take advertising work or we'll, we'll work on TV shows and we'll use, you know, increment stuff to go and work on more, <laughs> more YouTube yeah. videos. We earn money pay our rent, and then whatever's left goes back into Garfield videos. Yeah. This is awful. <laughs> so that's how it's been the past nine years. All the fun money goes into the Garfield fund. Or RoboCop. Or, yeah. um, we did try to do the same thing we did to Lasagna Cat last week for Infinite Solutions first. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, we spent a couple of years on, on the Infinite Solutions episode that just, we just couldn't make it happen. Yeah. We, we were too ambitious and... By the time we were nearing, you know, like getting a working edit, there were things like newsreaders and now like Nathan for you. And it just felt, it just didn't feel as fresh. And, yeah. It didn't feel like it was worth finishing because there was traditional media that was doing things that was so much more daring and so much more satirical. Hmm. So we just kind of let that go. And we almost did the same to Garfield because we finished the majority of Lasagna Cat this recent release like about five years ago honestly yeah. and it's just been sitting on hard drives this whole time oh wow we actually started shooting it pretty shortly after we released the original series and similarly we, we overshot it we shot i think i saw something like 22 of them and then we backed ourselves down to 12 notwithstanding the the sex survey business and in the time since we started it because i mean we'd been working on it for two or three years in between jobs I feel like we felt that it was a step backwards to release it for us in yeah. a way. Like we directed some key and peel and we were doing like ad work and people knew that we were working on it, like our contemporaries and people that we were working with. And they were excited to see the new stuff to see how different it was. And I don't think that we felt it was different enough. Yeah. Like that we felt like revisiting the series five years later and it being in the same format was just kind of a disappointment because the original series felt pretty original back in 2008. And I don't know that it did to us in 2013 when we were ready to go. And so it just kind of backburnered for a while until the last year or two where we had the idea for the, um, the sex survey, um, <laughs> which was taking from the, uh, the page of Infinite Solutions of kind of like interactivity with the audience of like, hey, try this out. And so... That's what turned us around and said, let's put this out and let's do this. Because I think that's fresh. Right? It's really obnoxious to call yourself and your work <laughs> fresh. But it, it felt like it was something that was new or interesting. And if I came across it, I would be like, what is this? What is a, a 1-800 number? So anachronistic almost in and of itself. Yeah. And doing a, a trailer for a 1-800 number and having it ask for <laughs> such bizarre information. <laughs> well, yeah, let's talk about the 1-800 number because, I mean, <laughs> for anyone who might have anticipated the return of Lasagna Cat, that was definitely the last thing anybody expected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, 
like two years ago, we said, if we don't get this stuff out, it's, I mean, we're just going to end up deleting it. This is getting farther and farther behind us. And we had to keep going back and adding to it to keep the stuff fun. We went back and we added the, like the light wall to into club. And we went back and we added the bad saxophone to songbird. And we went back and added more like CG to craft work. Like we kept back going back and revisiting these and still never releasing them. And we're like, we can't, we have to either delete it all or let go of it because it's aging too fast and not coming out. What you guys said about the original format seeming too stale or whatever. I mean, these new versions, they're decidedly very different. The music video component is way more of a, a sketch than it was before. Well, very early on, we, we decided, let's take a different approach to these. Let's make these seem higher production value than the originals. The originals kind of became what they were sort of by accident. But now that we know what Lasagna Cat is, and we know that it's a reenactment of the strip followed by some bizarre music video medley weird thing set to music, a popular song, let's take that idea and produce fully realized music videos for each one. That was from the onset kind of what we wanted to do in revisiting it. And so we were like, okay, what we'll do is we'll make a big budget trailer. And that'll excuse the fact that maybe, you know, some of it's a little shoddy. And I should say that the reception has been overwhelmingly positive and maybe it isn't shoddy and we're just being too (laughs) self-critical. We just decided that the trailer, this would be the showreel piece of production value, more so than the series, because we felt that some of the series were just a little rough around the edges. We cut together a trailer, and again, we were looking for some sort of interactivity element, like why, why are people going to talk about this, or what would get you to send it around, and the ambiguous component of the 1-800 number, and what does it mean, came up to us. So we're like, okay, we'll have that. And then, and now what? We're going to have all these voicemails of people's sexual history. What do we do with this? And then we conned some uh, production company to rent a uh, motion control rig for us. That was, they were using on some other job. And uh, we shot the template for the answering the door business. So that's how we were going to incorporate all the audio. Because we didn't know. Every, every single step along the way, we were like, okay, we did this. Now what do we do? Yeah, we'll figure it out as we go. And so, oh, geez. so we, we had the trailer shot. This was about a year ago we shot the trailer. And we are like, okay, so we'll have this 1-800 number. And we'll have this information. Now what do we do with it? And then we shot the, 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 the motion control thing where he keeps answering the door. There's a thousand callers, by the way. Oh, my God. People were trying to like compute how many there were by like, averaging out call lengths. And so I saw some insane numbers, but we built a, a Excel spreadsheet scripting thing that would drop all the audio and ripple the timeline to the appropriate length of the audio track duration for all of these callers. And we built it with 999 callers. And then the thousandth one is John Arbuckle at the end. It's not everybody that called in. It's just the first usable thousand calls pretty much. We built it everything so that we could get it up within like three or four days of the trailer. But um, when we realized we had something special, we, we went back and we got so many wonderful messages that were like long or creative that we took the time to transcribe them and improve upon like the word bubble so that like the, the text would like fade up. And that all had to be manually overseen. And so we ended up pushing the release from four days to two weeks and also curating it a little bit. I was really just shocked by the complexity of that. I mean, was it, was it really like unique takes for each and every one of those? 
it was a unique John take for each one. And it was a, what we'd done was we'd shot the area between John's recliner and the door is like a drop zone. So when, when the camera pans past that little sliver of wall where the clock is, is on it and the clock is accurate. And that was perhaps the most frustrating and, and tedious point of the scripting. We shot John answering the door after the fact. So all of those are original but those get dropped into the video that we'd shot, you know, a year prior. And then we recorded, obviously, Garfield's Who's There's a la carte, as well as Odie's Barking. The, the scripting that went into it was honestly very impressive because I had very little to do with that. And Zach built a, an insane sort of project that uses, like, Microsoft Excel to reference. <laughs> like, like, you load in an Excel document that has all the fields filled out and then different After Effects comps get procedurally generated using all the different cells and then it loads pre-rendered videos. I mean, it's like a enormously complex system that he built in order for this thing to be mostly automated. The video was like 90% done a week into um, us having put out the trailer and then we spent the next week tailoring it and customizing it for all the instances where the automation wasn't holding up. That was a frustrating, like, in between time, we'd accumulated all the messages. We'd shot John answering the door, and then we spent literally like a week fine-tuning the word bubbles and the text placement, all the while getting new 1-800 messages, knowing that all of these people that were calling in weren't going to be in the video and might be disappointed. And that was really frustrating to us because we wanted to get it up as soon as we could so that no one could you know, feel left out. Like The whole thing is quite an impressive feat. It's sort of like a commentary. It's like a knock-knock joke that never ended, which is a commentary on Garfield, pretty pretty obviously. <laughs> yeah. It's a really just simple joke, and it keeps going and going and going. It's not particularly funny. You get it, and it just goes on forever. And that's Garfield. And so that was our commentary. And then I remember, so after that, we said, well, how do we end this? And we kept saying, well, it could end this way, it could end that way. And then we sort of decided on, what if we just end it with this ridiculous sort of art piece that you're watching it and not even understanding how someone would take this concept so seriously and have it just at the end of the day just be about Garfield. So the idea was to create some Kubrick inspired. Yeah, it was, it was 2001, the, uh, the ending of 2001, <laughs> and also some pieces from Holy Mountain. Yeah, Holy Mountain. Jodorowsky's Holy Mountain yeah. are the two major influences in that ending. That and RoboCop, there's been a couple times where we've set out to do something and things have worked really smoothly. <laughs> and that's, that's pretty rare. Like, I mean, Infinite Solutions, we abandoned the, the trailer we had trouble with creatively. But the epilogue to the sex survey video was a wonderful production. And um, Naked Garfield was the reprised lead rapist from the RoboCop video. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it's yeah. the same guy. This guy's Luca Fisher. And... He's willing to drop trow, so he, he gets in uh, he gets in our stuff a lot. <laughs> he was kind of a last minute replacement on RoboCop, and he was forwarded on to us as someone who'd be willing to do it. And then we had him on set, and he committed a thousand percent. It was kind of obvious that that was just somehow fortuitously the correct guy for this. He can really bring uh, a certain amount of energy to it that makes it wholly absurd. Yeah, and just following up on just happy accidents like. We were casting for the, uh, the girl in the bathroom at the end, the epilogue. And we, we found this actress, Alexandra Jade, and we just noticed on her headshot that she spoke Polish. 
and we're like, hey, will you translate your script into Polish? And she did. <laughs> and that's why that ending's in Polish. We toyed with the idea of like, well, maybe we, we could make it more pretentious if it was in another language, but we didn't have any means of doing that. And then she came in and she did a great job in her audition. And in English. Said, in English. And then it said she speaks Polish. And we were like, well, let, we, have to, we have to do this in Polish and not subtitle it. And again, I mean, I think that creates like an interactive element. People like to dig and you can read through and find comments of people wanting to know what the translation is. And so someone will do it. It just creates like a, an interactivity online that people do tend to like to pause our videos. And whenever there's a magazine or a newspaper or anything, I mean, like we're obsessive about things. And so we'll write yeah, full no, articles. And, yeah, there's no lorem ipsum in yeah, anything. Yeah, so we pe do. people do enjoy discovering that we've found. And so we continue to do it. I think that dates back to, to Infinite Solutions because that was kind of a, a thing where people were trying to find clues as to what things mean or is this real? It's a level of detail that I think is pretty much only appreciated on the internet. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, we try to like, create a specifically internet experience for content that we're making for the internet. That's why we changed round two to be what it was and to have the extra websites and the extra videos and the, and the interactive component. I think if you're trying to make short form comedic content online, it should be content that is supposed to be and can only work on the internet. Yeah. And I think Lasagna Cat can only work on the internet. Infinite Solutions can only work on the internet. Sketch comedy can work on TV. And if this could be ported, then it wouldn't be right. You say that, but oddly enough, I feel like Key and Peele, a show we worked on, did surprisingly well by breaking up its sketches and having those kind of appear as one-offs online. Even in the first season, they had to release a statement saying, hey, this is actually a TV show. Uh, please watch it. But yeah, when we make online content, we think about as an online viewer, what is the experience you're having created for you? Like, what is it like to be someone online who's supposed to consume this stuff? Yeah, well, the, yeah. the interactivity that you've created on this has actually seemingly tricked people into thinking there's an alternate reality game. <laughs> yeah, we've got it. a few emails asking. Yes. Like, what's, what, are, what do the numbers mean? They're trying to, like, yeah, lost bunker it. Yeah. Um, Dharma initiative, figure out what all these numbers mean. And combined with that and the hour-long episode and figuring out that we've been working on this for so long are really <laughs> attributing some deeper meaning into it that, I mean, I, we're flattered and humbled by, by people's interpretations. I think at the end of the day, it's just making a dumb Garfield joke for us. But, <laughs> but clearly a lot of thought went into it on our part, but not to the point of an ARG. We've really been flattered uh, by the reception of this. Yeah. There's a Reddit thread that was just People were really digging deep for all the meaning behind everything. And it was a lot of it. I mean, we had, you know, I thought of, but like a, some other stuff attributed such grander vision to us than we, than we had. I mean, it's, I'm, it's definitely getting forwarded to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> the speed at which people translated the Polish and the speed at which they found all the satellite content makes me in retrospect, wish we had done some sort of like, you know, ARG type thing. Because we were concerned that we weren't going to get enough calls. Like we were like, how long is it going to take to get a thousand calls? What if we don't get a thousand calls? Do we just start putting in ringer calls of ourselves? And then that was not an issue at all. We had a few thousand in the first day. Wow. I think a lack of confidence in the project might have held it back from being even more grand because we we're just surrounded by people raising their eyebrows at us for the last 10 years as we've been working on this, rolling their eyes like, 
why are you doing this? And we're like, trust us, this is going to be good. And then not knowing if that was true or not. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, a lot of this was asking friends for help and just in people's spare time generously, like, you know, offering it. And we'd go back to those friends after having said, okay, this is the last piece for the lasagna cat release. And then like six months later, we're like, okay, we have one more thing that we're going <laughs> to just shoot this last thing. And then like six months after that, we're like, okay, there's just one last thing. And they're like, we've lost all credibility over the 10 years. And people probably just thought it would never come out, but surprise everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thought that goes into it, it shows. I mean, clearly by, by anyone trying to pick up breadcrumbs for a larger conspiracy within Lasagna Cat, I mean, it's beautiful. And the, the art film piece at the end is fascinating, whether it means something or nothing. <laughs> you know, like birth of a John Arbuckle slash Jim Davis baby in like a high school in Poland. That's incredible. <laughs> we still have a reborn doll and a half of a, a sex doll. Yeah, we ordered us from that. We ordered a sex doll from China because it was cheaper than having a, a special effect person make a cast of legs and then have those give birth through those. So. And we and we only ordered the lower half <laughs> of the sex doll. Really dark. Money. Yeah, but that and exists. It arrived uh, in a crate. We had it shipped to a friend's workplace because I was I didn't want it arriving. I didn't know the customs what it said. <laughs> Custom said massager on it, even though it was like a an eighty pound piece of silicone that was like four feet tall or whatever yeah. this box. Just the real doll's legs, essentially. Yeah. Oh my god, I haven't seen the level of realistic sex organ prosthetics outside of you guys' work. I don't know, really, like ever in that gory detail that you guys have been doing. But here it is: you just ordered half for real doll. That's 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 remarkable. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys have to do anything to make it look more real, or does it actually look like that? We punched some hair, we punched some pubes in because it came yeah. Brazilian waxed and we had a special effects person do some of that. And I think we also maybe skinned it a little bit in post. We, yeah, we added uh, in a little bit of detail. We've been working with the same special effects person since, God, I don't know. It's been a long time now, but she was the same person who did the penises for us for RoboCop. Uh, she does amazing work. And so we keep kind of coming back to her with grosser and grosser ideas and she laughs and then makes it happen. And, uh, <laughs> Her name is Jen Rose. She, uh, for RoboCop, she worked on a uh, premium cable show that involved hospitals in olden times. And uh, she had access to um, full body casts. And every single day, she would like cast a couple penises without anybody seeing and like put them in her car. And over the course of like a month, she'd smuggled us out of her workplace like 30 penises. And that's how we were able to do RoboCop on the cheap. That's incredible. I think, honestly, her availability to us has steered us into where we're at now versus where we were at in 2007, 2008. 2007, 2008, we were like, hey, we can differentiate ourselves by using After Effects. And that truly put us ahead of the pack. And now every single person, you know, <laughs> you graduating know after eighth grade knows After Effects. So we have discovered that one thing that can be a differentiating thing for us is the access to, to prosthetics and makeup gags. 
we're really heavy up in it in the recent lasagna cat stuff and some of the other projects we're working on and obviously and also in robocop and it's obviously a, a huge cliche for filmmakers to say we like to do things practically but as we are i guess maturing we do tend to want to do these weird prosthetic makeup gags and incorporate the charm of those i mean obviously we augment things with vfx and we have a vfx background but Having that practical element is a lot of fun to shoot, and it, it always looks better, I think. Oh, it absolutely does. I mean, let's take this opportunity now to talk about scene 27 from our RoboCop remake, um, <laughs> because holy shit, that thing just took at least my corner of the world by storm. <laughs> no one could believe what they were seeing. The RoboCop suit you guys got looks film perfect the penises were obviously immaculate the gore was through the roof um and it it overshadows everything else that's happening in that entire feature yeah well that was perhaps rude of us yeah to do that to that community effort but um we got asked to do that and they were divvying up the scenes and we're like well what's still left and for some reason the rape scene was still available we're like, that would have been the first scene we would have requested. Yeah, someone getting shot in the dick is, I mean, <laughs> how, how was that not the first scene to go? It was, there were only like five left when we signed, signed on, on and, yeah. and that was one of them. So we were like, oh, obviously. And then we were thinking about it and talking about like how to approach it. And we realized RoboCop is one of those movies that has fanatics. Yeah. Of Just like you know that there's stormtroopers everywhere and there's Boba Fett. Yeah. And then someone's going to have Ghostbuster that. proton packs at every Comic-Con. We knew that somewhere there was a, yeah. a RoboCop suit. And we just like started going onto RoboCop fan forums and found <laughs> the guy. Yeah. yeah. And we emailed him and we're like, hey, we're involved in like this remake of RoboCop. Will you come out for this? And um, I don't think he knew what he was getting into. And we didn't tell him <laughs> about the penises of the movie. Until he was on site. He yeah. drove from um, Phoenix to, to Los Angeles. Yeah. In, in, his, in his car. He has the RoboCop car. Yeah. He, he's, he's fully. He's got the gun. He, he's he, got the gun. He's got the gas-powered Auto 9. Yeah. And I then mean, he's, got the, uh, he's got the Ford Taurus, like the 1989 <laughs> Ford Taurus that's matte black. So, so we contacted him, and he provided like 75% of the production value on his own. It was kind of incredible. That's beautiful. And uh, yeah, he, and the dicks came from Jen Rose, and then a friend of ours, Christian uh, Springer, is a big um, TV cinematographer. Like, basically, drove the grip truck off of one of his uh, sets <laughs> onto our set because we were shooting overnight. And he just talked to the producer, and they were like, "Yeah, go for it." Every light was green. Like, we just we were just cruising, like no traffic on on RoboCop. Everything went smoothly. It was such a, a wonderful experience. We called out our friends. We're like, um, hey, does anyone want to get their dick shot off? And like 40 <laughs> people showed up. And it was just, it was great. <laughs> what it, Just an incredible, weird, beautiful thing you guys made. I, I'm still in awe yeah. of it. Everyone liked RoboCop so much. Because I remember we also drove around. We recreated the driving shots totally unnecessarily. <laughs> like we could have just spliced in the driving shots from the movie. But for whatever reason, we drove around driving and like everyone was just shouting and cheering at RoboCop on the streets of Los Angeles (laughs) as we were driving this car around. Speaking of driving shots, one of the the crowning achievements of this round of Lasagna Cat is the Miami Vice episode. Yeah, that was actually a a master course for us in how to achieve driving shots because (laughs) when we started that, we uh, had no idea how to get some of those and learning how to rig those and how to obtain them because when we started we were like building rigs ourselves to try and get those shots out of like home depot components and it was it was a joke 
And then we finally got some proper grip help and it went a lot smoother. But yeah, that scene was cobbled together over a couple of years. Shooting. It's weird because the, the project kind of started out as DIY. And by the time it ended, we were just cheating and like just making our employers help out or, or stealing PAs or, or DPs and, and grips and gaffers and such yeah. from various jobs. But over the course of the lasagna cap to journey, it went from bootstrap frugality to just do it the right way. Just do it the right way. I mean, there's, there's still, I, I think even in constructing the, um, the final sex survey results, I mean, there's still a DIY element to what we do. I mean, that set piece to, to shoot all the individual names was built in Zach's apartment. Just, I mean, you can see in the Miami Vice one, like the boat cutouts. Yeah, we built that. Like, we built those. Those are like plywood boats. Totally we, unnecessary. We brought to a lake and just staked into the ground. I mean, that's not an example of doing it because practical execution is better. That was, we didn't know how to do a boat yeah. in post, <laughs> which is in retro. I mean, because we shot that. Yeah, uh, 2010. 2010 or oh, something. Oh, wow. <laughs> We're entirely self-taught when it comes to VFX, and so our capabilities grow as we as we grow and get older and, and learn new things. And um, you can kind of tell over the course of these new Lasagna Cat videos. Justin Roiland of Rick and Morty yeah. fame, was a fan of the first round of Lasagna Cat, and we'd done the Miami Vice one with the Phil Collins track. And we'd finished on it, we'd locked it, we'd exported it, and, and it was sitting on the drive. And it was uh, about the time that we were shooting the trailer, when we were revisiting all the stuff that we'd done so long ago, and thinking, is there a way that we can quickly punch any of these up? And that's when we added the bad saxophone to Songbird. And we also sent out a, a text to Justin, and we're like, hey, Justin, would you karaoke Phil Collins for us? He was very sporting, and he did it one afternoon. I went over to his place, and... He was playing Witcher 3, <laughs> and then he recorded that, and then I think he segued into to some, some Rick and Mortyisms. But we're not holding up Season 3. I saw some comments <laughs> suggesting that. I guarantee that this was recorded long before the, the current hiatus of Rick and Morty. Kind of relating to Phil Collins, the music inclusion, and that being one of the longest lasagna cats from this new round, excluding the pipe strip, of course. Um <laughs> One of our listeners, the same one who watched all four hours of the sex survey, he wanted to know, how have you not been sued? You know? <laughs> um, well, the the reason they all came out at once the first time was because we figured that we'd get a, um, a takedown notice immediately. And we, we fought with those a lot on uh, the TV intros. TV intros went down, they went back up, they went down. On the Lasagna Cat, round one, we were like, if we get it all out really fast and it hits, then you can't kill it. That was also the thinking the second time around. But the second time around, YouTube has matured to the point that you can now like search song titles and find out what the pre-existing agreements are. Yeah. And none of that existed. Auto ID didn't exist back in 2007. It's like a lot of the original Lasagna Cats got their audio deactivated and then reactivated as those things got negotiated over the years. And this time around, we knew going into it which songs would be a problem. And it was really just one, and it was Songbird, the Kenny G song, and we were using a karaoke version of it in the video that we've uploaded. We did have, uh, just a couple days ago, one of the new Lasagna Cats was taken down because of a copyright claim from Pause Incorporated, 
which is the first time I think there's ever been sort of any acknowledgement on their part that, that lasagna cat exists. Yeah, I was going to um, ask about that. So this is actually the first time you and the Jim Davis camp have ever directly interacted? Then it's not even direct. I mean, yeah, but yes. I think we just crossed the line on that one because we posted their contact of the um, public relations department <laughs> of Pause Incorporated yeah. and encouraged viewers to arrange a breakfast with Garfield, um, which is silly, but... We have the kind of fans who actually... They did that, and we found evidence of the, of the fact that people were contacting them, and... I saw some Tumblr post that said they can't take a joke and they absolutely can take a joke. And they've been so sporting to what is a full frontal assault on their property. And we softened up. We we tried to some of the meaner elements, meaner elements of the second round. I don't think we're original for saying that Garfield recycles jokes. Like, I mean, we're not being that creative in our attack on Garfield. I I honestly, I, I felt kind of bad revisiting it and releasing it because I don't think it's fair for an adult to attack a cartoon that's used to like encourage children to read. (laughs) Like not every comic strip has to be Calvin and Hobbes, you know, and the far side. Like it's, yeah, not everything's going to be the far side. And and there is some value in having a wholesome image that can encourage you to just brush your teeth at the dentist (laughs) <laughs> and if it's not peanuts, it's it's Garfield, and it just seems so I don't know, just spiteful on our behalf. We tried to steer it away from the the formula, and we were kind of left painting ourselves into a corner. Like we have to keep to the formula of these tribute videos, and they have to end with Jim Davis's face. But at the same time, like really, it's like do, do you need to do this to this man who's just a nice guy and is letting you do this to him yeah. and is has every right to tell you to stop and doesn't. <laughs> uh, and so we tried to steer it a little bit more obtuse and make it, you know, some like Campbell soup cans, like modern art piece with the sex survey business, which I hope we did. I think that that, that exists as more of a exploration of interactivity and, and postmodernism. And I'm, I'm sounding like, you know, full of myself, but no, I, I think you're 100% right. And while the sex survey really added an abstraction to the whole project, I felt the pipe strip episode was a sort of thesis statement for the entirety of Lasagna Cat, in a way. Yeah. And it really worked on a profound level. To me, it read as a loving explanation of the ways that art can be interpreted, and in many cases, validating the work you guys have done against any kind of real, uh, you know, genuine maliciousness. Yeah. It doesn't take too much of a mental leap to realize if we didn't care about it, we wouldn't have spent all these years working on it. So it is, I mean, people have pointed out it's a labor of love. And I mean, we've treated it as such. Well, so then let's talk about the pipe strip episode. I mean, it's an hour long dissection of a single three panel strip, just one man and some motion effects. And it's so compelling. That man also is John Barrymore the third. Yeah. Yeah, Of the legendary Barrymore acting family. Oh, I I looked him up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He did an amazing job. He did it in one take. There was a teleprompter. And some people in the comments have pointed out a couple little, like, edits. And those were instances where I'm infuriated at myself for not doing a better job of just, like, getting rid of little stutters that he had. Because, like, over the course of maybe a, the whole hour, he probably fumbled his, his words, just, like, like transposed the syllables and then like, immediately corrected himself, like, like, six or seven times. Yeah. 
and he just showed up and, and we were like, do you need water? Do you need the, the like, practice? No, I was like, go. I'll just do it. And he just did it first time through. It was just astonishing. Yeah. Just like literally mind blowing to watch him do that. I mean, and then he disappeared into the ether. How'd you guys end up pairing up with him of all the people wandering around in the Hollywood scene? He came in and read for a short film that we that we abandoned, abandoned <laughs> a lot of things. We shot a short film that had a troll in it. It was this fake foreign language. Kind of a lot of ways. A lot of overlap. To the, a lot of overlap. With the ending to Lasagna Cat. Yeah, we, we were making this fake pretentious video that degenerated into basically uh, fart jokes. But it was supposed to like sneak up on you. And <laughs> we held auditions for you know older gentlemen. And he was one of the people that read for that. We didn't cast him in that, but we just held on to his name and brought him back for Garfield. He just blindly took it. One take with a telephone. My God. I feel bad saying it was a teleprompter because I, I love reading all the comments suggesting there's cute cards or that he. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Memorized it all. I saw a discussion that pointed out the strip immediately following the pipe strip is a continuation of the pipe strip. Yeah, we didn't know about that. Oh, man. And just like as a lark said, what's the next day's strip? And it was more of the pipe strip. And that would have completely changed the narrative, which Jeffrey wrote. Yes. It was like 26 pages or something. Well yeah. done, man. Well done. <laughs> There's moments in there where he's like changing subjects and he'll, he'll have sort of a longer pause. And it's like perfectly timed with like a track change in the score. It's totally. Totally accidental. Serendipitous. And, mm. Yeah. And, that was not planned at all. And, and that happens like more than once. And I was just kind of like amazed as we were putting it together that that happened. That's perhaps a testament to film scores and to Philip Glass that you perceive meaning in, in these measure changes or whatever key changes. Yeah. It's nothing like a good dose of synchronicity to make you feel like something important's happening. That was supposed to be the crowning jewel of the Series 2 release. That was the last one we finished. And we were like, let's put it out. And then we just got cold feet for three years and then did the trailer and then did the, the sex survey. But that was the last one we finished, and that was supposed to be the big ta-da until we revisited everything. And then the sex survey became the ta-da. I really just love that artificial deconstruction. It's really like, um, what was the movie, that room? 237, The Shining analysis. But as Jeffrey kept pointing out and laughing as we were shooting the, uh, the epilogue, the Kubrick-esque epilogue, it's, it's interesting because it's Garfield, and it's just interesting to explore what pop iconography or characters mean because everybody has 
every email we get about lasagna cat is when I was a kid, I used to read Garfield and, and then it would just go on. Everyone has their own little anecdote. I think it's interesting to take these characters and just explore places they're not supposed to go just outright. And I'm kind of interested to see like, you know, what will happen if it ever, it happens when like, you know, Mickey mouse enters the public domain, Mm. you know? And so what, what, what will that mean? I think you can already see it. It happens so frequently on the internet where there's a corner of the internet that wants to sort of take these elements and, and rehash them. I mean, we were big fans early on. This is dating back when it was still kind of functional, but Paper Rad would do the same thing. And it's pop art in a way to take characters and recontextualize them. There's a thing going on where like a painting from the 1200s would have biblical figures in it. Like paintings yeah. now have Batman and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in it. Yeah. Because those are our legends growing up in the 21st century. Yeah, it is fascinating they become totemic. People can use these characters to channel different aspects about their own personalities and use fan fiction or Rule 34 even to explore their identities and their sexualities by appropriating this pop culture as a template for something greater. Yeah, it's just like the myth stories are are not Homers anymore or, or biblical. They're, they're, yeah, they're Harry Potter. They're Homers yeah. from The Simpsons. Right. It's yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's it's hard to ignore something like that. I mean, Garfield has been running for over 30 years. I mean, you said The Simpsons. The Simpsons has been on television for most of our adult lives. I mean, these things exist in our culture and are omnipresent. I mean, even ignoring their actual source media, you're surrounded by the advertising for them. You're surrounded by the merchandising for them. It's hard to imagine a world in which artists wouldn't be deconstructing all those things that exist in their universe. So, I mean, it, it makes sense that you'd go on to YouTube and something like YouTube poop where you take the weirdest things from culture and make them even weirder. That makes sense to me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, to that end, there's one particular installment of the new Lasagna Cat that sticks out. Uh, when you release the 1-800 number and announce the new shorts, one of the things I was most intrigued by was the mention that there was going to be some music from Mother 3. And then, <laughs> yeah, people and, got and, then the actual video came out and... I had no clue what that meme was you guys were referencing. I, I, I mean, I, I figured it out eventually, but... Yeah. <laughs> that is evidence of when we made it, because that was a, uh, I think, a 2009-ism or 2010 yeah, Bear animation. Yeah. I mean, we certainly pointed everybody to it that weren't familiar with it. And I mean, it still outranks us by views 10, 20 to 1, I would assume. But yeah, it's just some guy's sarcastic animation thesis... Yeah. Her final project in Let's, some college course that he was very upset that he had paid yeah. uh, the tuition for. We really like the, the story behind it because this, this guy hated the teacher, didn't learn anything, and then this was his final project. Yeah, his and final project was like make a walk cycle <laughs> and then show your character dancing and then striking three poses. Yeah. And so that's what he did. Yeah. And it's just purely just like a F you. Yeah, and the, the slate at the end was... Thanks for nothing. Yeah, thanks for nothing. And so we, we searched and searched through Garfield's trips. I remember doing that. We sat on the floor of like a Barnes & Noble, because those still existed back when we made this. <laughs> and we just read Garfield's trips for like hours, looking for Garfield saying thanks for nothing, knowing that over the 30-year run of Garfield, had someone to had to have said thanks for nothing. I remember when we found, found it, yeah. we were so excited. It was like a Willy Wonka golden ticket moment of just like, 
it's done. We're done searching after like day weeks. I think we searched for like two weeks. I think it was, it was like a couple hours of ours. We were, we were like we like crowdsourced it. Oh, whatever. Yeah. Well, just to satisfy my own curiosity, have either of you played Mother Three? I've never actually played Mother Three. Yeah, neither have I. Zach's played more video games. Zach was the one who convinced me that in the first round that the Final Fantasy one was going to go big. And sure enough, I mean that's. View count wise, that's our most popular. Yeah, I wanted to do Chrono account. Trigger, but the uh, the animation is too hard to copy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not as well versed in all of that. I was a Game Boy kid. So. The Final Fantasy Lasagna Cat is the gateway drug that I typically use to get people into it. They immediately, as soon as the, the no skills thing happens, it just immediately sells them. They're like, oh shit, that's such a nuanced joke. These guys get it. Yeah, I'm just playing. Uh, RPGs on my emulator and going to Reddit like everybody else. It's just uh, I play Magic cards on Friday nights. And, Hell yeah! Uh, <laughs> what kind of deck you play? I'm doing like a pain draw thing, like Liliana's Caress, Black Blue. Yeah, I've been over for several exacts uh, Magic card nights. It's fun. I mean, I, I had to learn how to play. One of our TV intro ideas that never got produced was to do. Charles in charge, but with magic cards. I mean, this was like 10, 11 years oh ago. Oh my God. Somewhere we have like Photoshop documents of like the buddy card and the Charles card, how much mana they cost and what their, what their tap, to, yeah, we tap powers are. Never produced that one. It's a lot of half finished ideas of ours. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about the future then. For a while on the Fatal Farm website, you've had something called Tales from the Old West. What can you tell us about yes. that? Yes. Originally, we were planning to release five or six Western teasers, like promos for a TV show, along with this Garfield release, hoping that the Garfield's attention would draw eyes to a show that we wanted to pitch. But everything was taking so long because we are mired in, in, in the production hell and of us being too fanatical on the Western side, just as we have been for the, for the lasagna cat side, that we decided to divorce the two and release Garfield but we are interested and have been working on doing kind of an Old West thing that's very rooted in um, practical effects. This would be wholly original. This isn't us taking existing property and riffing on it. This would be our pivot into self-authored, wholly original content. Yeah. And the aesthetic is just, it's, it's Old West and it's practical um, effects like John Carpenter, David Cronenberg, monsters and, and weird prosthetic work. Awesome. And we've done three or four of them we've shot, but as our ambition keeps escalating, I think we might end up developing that through more traditional means and trying to like write a script and go around with it because we've never actually done that. But yeah. if uh, we hit a wall with that, like if it's true what everybody says about, you know, all those pitch meetings that go nowhere, then we'll finish them up and release them like we did with Garfield because three of them are done. It's interesting because when we did have the idea, the Western was kind of a dead genre and it's been a little frustrating for us that it's kind of come back in full yeah. force with Westworld. Yeah. When we shot the Westerns originally, because we started we started working on those back at Tales of the Old West, we started working on that series in 2000, I don't, I don't, I don't remember, but the point is we lost our location to Django Unchained. That's how long ago we started. Oh, wow. Not, not Hateful Eight, Django. Like yeah. two, two, two Tarantino two. Westerns ago, <laughs> we, we started working on ours, thinking no one's doing Westerns. And then, and then it just came back. Yeah. 
and it came back with Westworld, and it came back, I hear the Coen Brothers. Yeah, there's going to be Dark out. Tower, and we outlived True Grit, and yeah, uh, so a Million Ways to Die in the West, that but, comedy. Which is, um, I guess, a good and a bad thing. I, I see it as a, as mostly a bad thing, because I was excited to like do something um, that hadn't been done in a while, but in a good way, now we're being pushed in our ideas to go more fringe, especially because, you know, Westworld and Dark Tower expand the genre so much farther that it's a challenge to us, like how much more unexpected and bizarre can we get with our media, knowing that we're not bound to the massive oversight that those very expensive properties would have. That's next on our agenda, really, is, mm. is to get that out because it's really psychologically taxing to hold on to projects for a decade and and, uh, seem to keep doing it though we were thrilled that one of them's gone and this is the next one in our crosshairs we also didn't know when we started it like where it was going to lie because like the only venue we had is comedy central and adult swim because back when we started it like netflix was something that you you received dvds in the mail yeah the media landscape has really changed a lot since we've started working. And it's been interesting to watch it, and it's been frustrating to watch it, and we're actively trying to navigate it. So Tales of the Old West, if that title survives, I think we're kicking around a couple other titles based on where we've taken that. The idea is uh, comedic, the thing, like John Carpenter's <laughs> The Thing, in the set in the Old West. It's uh, hopefully a, like a TV maxi series type thing, like a Stranger Things type thing. Like if Stranger Things is the love letter to those coming of age, Stand By Me type uh, poltergeist uh, 80s movies, this one would be... A creature horror. Yeah, it would be the creature horror, like the fly, the thing, maybe some Nightmare on Elm Street. We obviously love a lot of those old movies, but I, I feel like we want to use their effects for comedy. Very often, like over the past few years, Zach will like send me some horror trailer and say like, we got to figure out how to do this effect and I'll just watch the trailer and just laugh hysterically at like someone's mouth opening like way too wide and then they're like crawling around backwards or something. Hilarious. It's like so funny. I don't know how these horror movies think they're like scaring anybody with some of the shit they're pulling. It's just like the most, it's the stupidest looking stuff I've ever seen. And I'm laughing through all of it and want to find a way to incorporate it into like a dumb script we write. That premise sounds fantastic. You guys are absolutely speaking my language there. It's very trying and and taxing to do the practical effects. Um, And that's why I don't think you see very much comedy surrounding it because it it kills improv. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It fatigues performers. It's probably easier to scream at something than joke with it when you're doing lots and lots of takes. It's really impressive that Ghostbusters can exist and, mm. and feel as off the cuff as it is, knowing how laborious and um, technical the shoots can be. I think now we, we've always said, wait until we finish Garfield, wait until we finish this or that before writing a script. Or, and I think that's what we're going to do now. I think the waiting is over and we're going to actually just sit down and write a movie, sit down and write a TV show and try to go out with it. But um, as I said, if we get too frustrated with how slow that develops, I'm sure we'll end up shooting a a short film or something sometime in the next year or two. Yeah, we tend to not want to sit around too long without making something. Yeah, generally how it goes is we say we want to do something and then people say, I don't know, 
And then we say, fine, we'll just do it ourselves. <laughs> and then it takes much longer, but it does happen. Well, hey, Zach, Jeffrey, congratulations for your cat cartoon. Thank you. All right, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks. So obviously, on this episode's page, we're going to be linking where you can check out all the specific things we referenced, Lasagna Cat, Infinite Solutions, the alternate TV themes, RoboCop Scene 27, and so on and so on. And there's also a text version of this interview, either out now or coming soon, to Consequence of Sound, the music and film website where I serve as art director and occasional staff writer. This uh, deep-seated love of Lasagna Cat is not just mine alone, but shared very much equally by Consequence of Sound editor-in-chief Mike Rothman. So, the Fatal Farm guys opening up so candidly, it was a thrill for all of us. And if you go to the text version of this interview, you're going to find some exclusive behind-the-scenes photos showing some of the stuff the guys talked about, including a still from one of the still-unpublished Tales of the Old West. If you like this episode, then I've got a little bit of a favor to ask. One, if you're not doing it already, you should subscribe to this show for more nerdy audio entertainment. Two, you should rate and review us on iTunes because it's easy to do and helps out the show. Or three, if you really liked it and would like to spend some money on us, well, subscribe to us on Patreon. Even a dollar gets you all kinds of perks, including early releases of episodes. And five dollars, well, five dollars gets you brand new bonus content. And this interview was originally two hours long, so there's probably going to be some bonus content for this. You can find links on all the different ways to support us at nerdyshow.com slash support. And if you're an Amazon shopper, just go to nerdyshow.com slash Amazon and bookmark our Amazon link. Use that instead of your regular old URL and anything you buy on Amazon will automatically give back to us. And, uh, you know, though we've spent a lot of time talking about cats in this episode, I feel inclined to mention that we have a show about dogs, lightning dogs to be specific. It's a homage to the action figures, sci-fi, and 80s and 90s cartoons that all of us here at Nerdy Show grew up loving. And all that critical developmental media absorption turned into uh, a story about a group of anthropomorphic dogs from another world who travel to a post-apocalyptic Earth and fight the evil Glampire. We are actively working on turning it into an animated series, comic books, and other stuff. And you can see production artwork and listen to our entire documentary podcast chronicling the first moment that we accidentally came up with the concept here on the show at lightningdogs.com. So you can see how our creative sausage is made from that first moment the lightning struck to all the world-building meetings and creative and logistical challenges of a bunch of folks not inside the animation industry trying to break into the animation industry in the most weird roundabout way possible. Anyway, that's enough shilling. We'll see you next week with our usual topical discussion of global nerd happenings. But to, uh, to play us out, we have an exclusive track from the library of Nerdy FM. Nerdy FM is our streaming nerd music service, playing a selection of the finest geek music from big names to up-and-comers across all genres. You can listen to Nerdy FM at nerdy.fm or download our app on Apple and Android. So here we have a live show from Schaefer the Dark Lord, and he's going to perform the song Cat People. And I understand there's some specific dance moves that go with it. So, uh, hey, Schaefer. Show me how you do it. My cat people, throw your paws in the air. And we go, meow, meow, that's it. Meow, meow, oh. And wave them all around, but do it like you care. And we go, Kitty, kitty, here. Little kitty licks her front paw, washes her ear. Tickle on her whisker, little cat will attack. She'll grab your wrist with the front claws, kick with the back, and she can swipe like this. Back off and attack her with the head. And the kitty's moaning. Oh, yeah, oh, no. Did you know there's a moaning in her pen? Let me tell you.
me choke it fur, let me hear you purr, kitty cat. Oh my god, you're so cute, damn it, look at that. Arch in your back, high, flash the cat, I fight with mice with nine lives like you never die. For some, our cats are less like pets than our kids, and we worship them like the ancient Egyptians did. Yep, we are cats. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now, all the kitties in the house show the fangs in your mouth as you pounce on a mouse. Your cat wants you to do, sure you do. Cause our cats control our actions. They run the system, and our homes really belong to them. We just live with them. Four story cat tree stands in the corner, home of the owner holding a laser pointer. Little bag of catnip, fast to attract them. Post for the action, attack with a scratch. Have them like a captain as they pace in the plate. Make a biscuit in your lap, but the rest of your face break. Hit the sack, 10 hour catnap. Feed line, I'll make a beeline for your lap. When you leave it, come home all alone. Kitty's out the cat door, listen for mom. Oh no, 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 by the phone of the dish. Little kitty never lets a liver chicken or fish. Leave the ball of yarn all in the yard for the breed. As all my cat people in here, here in this beat are in heat. We are cat. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now, all the kitties in the house show the fangs in your mouth as you pounce on a mouth. the same team and what i mean is that not all of us are quite what we seem you see all of us inside have beating hearts that are warm but some of us have power into cats we transform under a full moon quarter moon or half moon in a bad mood bad breath yes cat food like werewolves wolves are dogs so we're cats so we're sneaky sneaking into the fog and we all got a little pink but now tell me what you think of that what playing with our own cats as cats that's a fact together in packs we can track rats Play real mean, chase each other up a screen, treat your place sweet and even lick each other clean. Ravenous animals act a little wild, then we do it like the humans do it, kitty style. Fighting and fucking and hunting and sleeping and breeding and eating and killing and that's what we do when we're kitties. Next morning we're human, we left and we cried, it was better than cats. Cat-perio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.